0: i cried a little bit where was this program when you were in grad school that's That's what i'm thinking alexa set phasers to kill
1: welcome to hello phd a podcast for scientists and the people who love them this week we learned about a program that could help you land a job before you finish your training stay with us
0: And we're back. This is Hello PhD episode 64. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab.
1: Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Josh. This is, uh, I'm glad to get out of 2016. I think by all reports, it was the worst. Yep. Stick a
0: fork in it. It is done. But here we are in 2017, and it actually feels pretty
1: good to be back in the saddle here in the studio with you. I hear that. Um, We are starting off the year the way I like to, with the proper type of ethanol.
0: That's right. We are back to the fundamentals, Dan. We're drinking an IPA tonight. Okay, which one do you have? Once in a while, you know, I do like to put something in that people can generally find pretty easily. So we are drinking the New Belgium Accumulation
1: White India Pale Ale. Yeah, when you handed this to me, I thought you had uh, sinned and given me a Pilsner. Because it is a very light color. Very light. But uh, it's got the bite. It's definitely an IPA. Yeah, this is really good. I think this might be a decent IPA
0: to share with a friend who maybe is not the biggest IPA fan, but you're trying to convince them to join the IPA train.
1: You think it's, it's a little lower on the, the bitter units? I think so. I think it's a little, it's got a smoothness to it. I think you're just looking at the snow on the label and, and feeling yeah, well,
0: I should mention this is also timely because accumulation there's a photo of snow piling up, and we are forecasted to get a little bit of snow right here in North Carolina in the next day or two, maybe 24 hours from now. so
1: yeah if you don't know anything about North Carolina, it is um, the apocalypse when snow flies in any amount. so if you're if you're listening from Michigan, uh, you should be laughing at us, but literally cars catch on fire because snow falls. I had to go to the grocery store today. Like I legit needed to go to the grocery
0: store because I usually go towards the end of the week, but I, I felt like I wanted to tell all the cashiers, like, I'm not just here because I'm making a rush it's on the store. Start, yeah. um, but the bread aisle totally cleaned out.
1: Yeah. In, in this area, people go and get bread and milk. And I I still don't fully understand why. If the power goes out, your milk, I guess you can set it outside. But, I mean, you need eggs. Make a French toast. Those things can make a French toast. Well, I actually was talking to the cashier, and, and I asked her, I was like, oh, has it been
0: extra busy today with the snow forecast? And she was like, Oh, yeah. I think people are preparing for a snowstorm immediately followed by a hurricane, immediately followed by a tornado. They realize they'll be able to easily get back to the grocery store probably by Monday. They'll have like one day.
1: (laughs) They maybe can't get out. Well, we are enjoying accumulation right now, and we'll uh, try to stay hunkered down during any accumulation we actually get. Yeah, this is delicious. All right, Dan, are you ready for Science in the News? I am ready. All right, Dan, we're going to talk about robots today. Okay. Now, we have covered robots in science and the news in the past, haven't we not? You know I like robots. Yeah, we talked about Hitchbot one time. We did talk
0: about Hitchbot. All right. So, anyway, Dan, I have one more piece of robot-related news that maybe is a little more scientific. Okay. All right. This is an article that was just published in the Journal of Visualized Experiments, or Jove. Are you familiar with Jove, Dan? I am not. Is this a real journal? Yeah. So, Jove is pretty cool, actually. Uh, it's actually a great resource, if if our listeners haven't heard of it. Um, unlike traditional articles, Jove has this you have this series of videos. So, like if you want to learn a technique, it's very technique driven. You not only read about the technique, but in excruciating detail you actually see someone doing the technique.
1: All right. Here's me pipetting a ninety six well plate. Well number A one. <laughs> well like, number B one. Could could be something like that.
0: Uh, so anyway, Dan, this article was called Insect Controlled Robot a mobile robot platform to evaluate the odor tracking capability of an insect. So basically what this is, Dan, these scientists from Japan, what they've done, they've actually created this robotic car that is driven by a silkworm moth that is tethered into the driver's seat. <laughs> and so the way this works is you got to see this. i got to show you, show you this video. We'll post a link to it. But effectively, they tether the moth inside of this, this vehicle – and it's, it's seated above this ball that's actually on a bed of air. And so as the moth moves its legs, it moves the ball, not unlike the track ball on a mouse. And that propels the vehicle in the direction that the, the moth is trying to move. And so what they did in this experiment is they actually found that they could place an object that had olfactory pheromones that the moth was attracted to across the room and the moth tethered on top of this ball could navigate the vehicle to the source of the odor. And so the idea being that this was a proof of concept that later on scientists could perhaps genetically manipulate these moths to move towards other odors like drugs or other substances. So, in some ways, uh, you could think of the bomb-sniffing dog could be replaced by the bomb-sniffing
1: moth-driven <laughs> vehicle. Do you see the just, like, <laughs> blank expression on my face? I thought you'd think this is cool. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, I know a lot of, of uh, companies... Are working on driverless cars. This explains why my last Uber just like kept running into a light post. It really <laughs> explains quite a bit. There's a lot. Maybe of, this is the AI that's behind all these new technologies. There's a lot of moth fair. moth based
0: uh, technologies. You to, uh, we'll post a video. I want you to see this video, Dan, of this in action. I mean,
1: look at that. Oh, that's pretty adorable. So there's this ball floating on air. I mean, that moth cannot be that heavy. Do they have to get IRB approval to do, use moths like uh, this? Actually, I don't think you need IRB approval for it. It looks like the Pope Mobile. It's got like a little <laughs> plastic dome on it. This is awesome. And
0: so, if you're interested, uh, you should definitely check out this video. But in the Jove article, because the way Jove works is so there are all these videos, you can see details of what one thing I was most interested in was how do you tether a moth. into a driver's seat without hurting it they have this whole video of how they do that pretty amazing people are very creative i'll give them that all right dan well enough about robots uh let's move on to our topic so i had a chance this week dan to sit down with dr patrick brant who is the director of the impact program at unc chapel hill and impact stands for the immersion program to advance career training and so this is a cool program dan impact enables graduate students and postdocs to actually do
1: internships out of the lab during their graduate or postdoctoral training so this is a little bit weird I know in, in a lot of graduate programs there's an internship component so if you want to go study um, you know occupational therapy that you take a year and you go work in that field to get your master's degree or if you want to do accounting like I've we've had interns at our company that are accounting majors or accounting graduate students, and they spend a year doing accounting. So I think it's pretty standard in other industries, but in academia, you're supposed to go on to become a faculty member, and you are at the bench doing your training to be that thing. So this seems a little bit unusual. Yeah, and
0: that's one of the things we've talked about on the show before, Dan, and and that is it's really hard for trainees sometimes to actually explore these other careers that they try to think about what careers they might want to do, but have had very few opportunities to actually explore those careers and opportunities outside of the university. And so what this program does, and others like it, is it gives you a chance during your training to get out there, get some hands-on experience doing some different things in some different environments and really expanding your network in a meaningful way. And and that's and one thing I'd like to say, too, up front is Patrick directs this program at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, but this is one of 17 programs funded by the NIH across the United States.
1: Yeah, so the, the funding is, and the program is called the BEST program, and uh, if you go to nihbest.org, you can see if your school is on the list of 17. There are a few California campuses, Michigan State, Vanderbilt, University of Massachusetts, Rutgers Cornell, several others. So, Um, This is not just a a local or a regional thing. This is occurring across the country. Yeah, so why don't we
0: hear what Patrick had to say and we'll learn a little bit more about this program.
2: My name is Patrick Brandt, and I'm the Director of Career Development and Training at UNC Chapel Hill. And among other things, I run an internship program uh, that's uh, partially funded by the NIH. And the purpose of that program, which is called IMPACT, Uh, for immersion program to advance career training. So the purpose of the impact program is to give senior grad students and postdocs an opportunity to experience different careers uh, outside of academia, Uh, and in some cases within academia, but outside of the traditional tenure track positions. Mm -hmm. How
0: long have you been doing that, or how long has that program been going?
2: So that program is in its third year. Uh, So we've had two cohorts, about 25 interns apiece in those first two cohorts, and we are just in the middle of the application process for our third cohort of interns.
0: Cool. So just to make sure I understand, uh, make sure our listeners understand, the IMPACT program allows trainees to actually do internships out of the lab during their training. That's right, yep. I guess that's a big part of what makes it a unique experience, a unique program.
2: It is, yeah, and they're relatively short internships. So they're 160 hours, Uh, the majority of them are. Some of the companies uh, want interns for longer and so they uh, pay into the program and and that gives them the option to have interns for longer. But um, yeah, basically it's 160 hours and and those 160 hours can either take place full-time for one month or uh, some trainees and some internship providers find it preferable to have a part-time internship set up.
0: One, one clarification. Is this just for graduate students, or can postdocs participate also?
2: No, it's for uh, both grad students and postdocs. So the grad students uh, in our particular program, uh, which I think is fairly common among other different uh, universities that have similar programs like this, the, the grad students have to have finished their uh, qualifying exams. Uh, and then for postdocs, they can be at any stage in their training.
0: So you mentioned other universities. So how many programs like this are there in the United States?
2: Well, we're funded by, uh, by the NIH. It's an initiative called the BEST Grant. It stands for Broadening Experiences in Scientific Training. And there are 17 different BEST institutions. But uh, there are certainly um, certainly not all of those BEST funded institutions are doing an internship component to their, uh, to their grant. And there are also universities and programs that don't have best funding that are doing internships as well. So I don't know exactly how many, um, but I would say that the number is probably approaching at least 20 universities that have some sort of a formalized internship program for life science trainees. Can you just spend
0: a few minutes and tell us a little bit about some of the different types of internships that trainees have taken part in over the last few years
2: Sure thing, yeah. So we've had close to 50 interns. Uh, they've been in a wide range of different areas, and we purposefully did that because we don't want this to just be an industry internship experience or just a bench uh, research internship experience. And so we've had trainees uh, who have had internships doing outreach, uh, science policy, teaching intensive careers, grant. We had a, um, a, an intern do a grant writing internship, clinical trials management because we have lots of contract research organizations in this area so a number of our interns have gone to contract research organizations and either done business development or in some cases been at the bench at a CRO. Uh, we've had a uh, few trainees do regulatory affairs and then I mean, we do have a, a fair number who, who do stay at the bench and are doing um, research intensive internships at places like BD or Bear Crop Science where they're actually doing research and development. Um, so I would say that the the most common ones are, are business development flavored internships, R and D, and we've had um, a fair number of teaching in, intensive internships as well as the as the few uh, other ones that I mentioned.
0: How do students get these internships? Are these internships that your program already has organized for them, or is it up to the to the student to, or the trainee to actually go out and? seek out their own internship? How does that process work?
2: It can be done both ways that you've described. So uh, I would say about three-quarters of the internships are ones where there are relationships with companies that I've cultivated, and uh, we know that they, they maybe they've had a good experience with a previous intern, and they, want, they know that they want to have another impact intern. But about a quarter of them are students, uh, grad students and postdocs that, that take the initiative to find, to, through their network, they find somebody who uh, could be an internship supervisor, they get a letter of support from them, and as, as part of the application, there there's certainly that leeway for them to uh, include that type of letter of support, and incidentally, those interns are much more likely to get chosen for funding because it makes it a lot easier for me because I don't have to uh, find, I don't have to... Um, place them in an internship they've already done the the hard work
0: so within reason uh, a trainee could almost do an internship anywhere
2: that's exactly right yep yep with the now we're lucky here in RTP that we've got a lot of companies that are local the funding that we provide is just salary support uh, that matches what they're making as a grad student or a postdoc so we don't have travel funds or housing funds so all of these internships are local so what, what would you say
0: off the top of your head is one of the more unique internships that a, a trainee has has gone into or set up?
2: Well, one of the ones that comes to mind is a student who did an outreach internship at the Museum of Natural Sciences in Raleigh, and she's a geneticist. Uh, and so she was doing a project where she was swabbing people's belly buttons and armpits to uh, get a fig- to culture, figure out what um, microbes are on the skin in those parts of the body uh, among different people, depending on what personal care products they use and what uh, things they eat. So that was probably the most interesting. one. What
0: was the purpose of that?
2: Uh, it was a It's a citizen science It's, try to, it's trying to get the um, public interested in science uh, and being a part of the scientific research and, and understanding a research question and, and knowing how to gather data around that research question. Very cool. yeah, you
0: could swap belly buttons.
2: You could yeah as an impact <laughs> intern.: yeah so another um, internship that was really unique and really represented a, a lot of initiative by the by the trainee was a postdoc in an an environmental engineering program here at UNC and she did an internship with the World Health Organization. She was field testing a, uh, a, a kit that would test water quality. And so she had been working on that as a science, as a postdoctoral scientist here at UNC. And then she got to actually go to Africa. Um, she got some matching funds from World Health Organization and went to Africa to do some field testing on this uh, kit that she had developed as a postdoc. So that was a really cool one.
0: So I know the program is fairly new, just mm-hmm. within the last two or three years. But have you actually seen any trainees make connections that led to employment at any of their internship sites?
2: Yeah, we've been pleasantly surprised. It's not part of the stated goal of the program to get people positions in the companies or in the organizations where they do internships. Part of that is because the grad students and postdocs often have another year or six months to a year, maybe a year and a half before they are finished with their projects. So they can't they don't. They can't always go directly into employment, but um, a number of the interns that we've had have been given offers, and and some of them have taken the offers and uh, uh, at the as as a direct result of the internship. So we've got a postdoc who was hired on at Bear Crop Science after doing an internship. Um, there was one senior grad student, actually two senior grad students who. Um, were, went to the Genentech post, industry postdoc position uh, as a result uh, of their, as a you know, partially as uh, with the benefit of the inter, impact internship. Uh, and we've got some trainees. You know, it's only been two years. Uh, two two cohorts of interns go through, but um, a number of them have credited their employment to the impact internship for sure.
0: Well, I imagine it's a great resume booster for sure.
2: Yeah, and you know what? It it certainly is. I I think that one month is not a whole lot of time. I think that, in my opinion, the most valuable aspect of these internships is that it increases the confidence of the interns. It helps them to envision themselves in that environment. It gives them uh, the vocabulary that they need to speak confidently in, in interviews, and it helps them to, just gives them confidence when they're on the job. On the job market.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually read something recently, and don't quote me on where it came from, but I think <laughs> the sentiment you could probably agree with. A lot of people have not stepped outside of academia before, or at least not in the context of biomedical science, right? They were maybe an undergraduate researcher, and then they worked at a university, and then maybe they were a grad student and postdoc. So there's just really, there's no real understanding of how... <laughs> other other environments mm-hmm. even operate. So it would be hard to have confidence in yeah. even what people are looking for outside of the academic sector if you've never experienced it directly.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's really the that's very true.
0: So what is NIH's goal in funding these best programs? Whether they allow trainees to do internships like your program or some of these other programs that don't do internships, what's the overall Motivation by NIH to fund these programs
2: Yeah, the um, NIH uh, this best grant mechanism uh, comes out of the office of the director and so it's um, it’s not just one institute that’s funding this but the um, you know the entire office of the of the director. Uh, and it’s a direct outgrowth of the workforce report maybe five years ago now. Um, and one of their suggestions was to change the way universities view graduate and or life science training and they basically were acknowledging that a very small proportion of graduates are going to get tenure track positions and so it's really a moral imperative on the part of the of those institutions that are both training and as well as the NIH who is funding the vast majority of training to provide this type of non-academic and non-tenure track uh, career exploration opportunities.
0: So that being said, and you know, we've we've talked about at the high level, at the funding level, this is an initiative that NIH is actually putting not just lip service behind, but actually real dollars behind mm-hmm. to create programs like the Impact Program at UNC. What has been the response by research faculty? Because here, at least in your program, we have trainees who are leaving the lab for a time, even if it's a short time, but as much as a month, mm-hmm. to actually go and do something that's not lab research. So has there been any pushback from the, the research advisors at all?
2: There's always a, a push and a pull. And so there, with any time that there's an internship, there's going to be... We've got main, mainly three stakeholders that we're trying to please, and they all have conflicting uh, uh, interests. So, there's the internship supervisor who uh, would like to have a longer internship. The trainee probably would prefer to have a longer experience too. But the reason that we settled on a one month internship is because we've pulled our active training faculty and we asked what percentage of them would be supportive of an internship that lasted one month. And 85% of them uh, said that they would be interested or that they would support their trainee. Uh, doing a one-month internship, as opposed to the numbers were much less uh, for a three-month internship. Not so to mention that a three-month internship is more expensive on, for us, so we couldn't we couldn't fund as many trainees. So I think that's important to note. So
0: for for your program, I guess if there's some minor financial incentive for the PI, their student or postdoc is actually coming off of their funding for. That month, and actually being paid for by the program or the intern host.
2: Yeah, in some cases it's the intern host. So, uh, but yes, so the PI is never paying for the intern, the the, the trainee while they are at the internship. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't want. We knew that there would be uh, little appetite for that um, from the from the on the PI's from the PI's point of view. So the the different ways that this gets funded. Uh, The majority of the internships get funded through institutional funds. Uh, We also have a small uh, grant that pays for some of them, for some of the nonprofit internship placements. And then uh, a surprising number, this was something that was a surprise to us, uh, a a number of the interns who are on individual fellowships have been allowed by the uh, funding organization to stay on their fellowships while they're uh, in the internships. So that would include both NSF graduate research fellows, and then F31 and F32 uh, fellowship holders, uh, which is the NIH grad student and postdoc fellowship mechanism.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense, especially for students on an NIH training grant. It would be a little bit hypocritical for them to say, or or an F31 fellowship, for them to say, on one hand, we think this is really important, but we're not going to pay for you as part of your training fellowship to actually go have these experiences.
2: Yeah. And, you know, that's another reason that the one-month internship works well, because I think that they, I think the NIH would be less likely to allow a trainee to stay on a fellowship and do a three-month internship compared mm-hmm. to a one-month internship. So one thing I think is really
0: fascinating that you said was you mentioned that 85% of the research faculty at UNC said yep. they would be okay with that. I think for for maybe me initially hearing that, and maybe for all of our listeners, that's surprising to hear, because I think a lot of places there's this general view that maybe it's changing over time, but Mm -hmm. that a lot of trainees are hesitant to even bring up their desire to pursue careers that are outside of the lab and outside of academia, let alone to take time out of their training to actually go
2: and get some of these experiences. Were you surprised at that result? yeah we were surprised to see the number so high, um, but what we what I tell students when they come in and they express concerns about approaching their their pi because as I guess we haven't speci- i haven 't specifically stated it, but in order for the interns to participate, they have to have pi support they have to have a, their pi sign off uh, sign a form saying that they can participate in the internship. So when trainees come to me and are concerned about that and wondering how to have that conversation, I always share with them that statistic that we got from our training faculty. And uh, I basically tell them that they that we are constantly pleasantly surprised at the acceptance that the faculty, at least here, have um, in recognizing the difficult place that trainees are in in today's market.
0: Have you noticed, either do you think there are or have you noticed any benefits to the PIs for having trainees who are involved in programs like this or actually allowing their trainees to go do these internships?
2: We're, we're, we're following that really closely because we would like to think that there will be secondary benefits to the PI, for example, collaborations that might be able to be started. Uh, or um, another one of our hypotheses is that those f- faculty that become well-known for Supporting their trainees in these kind of internships are going to be those faculty members that will have a easier time at uh, recruiting the best trainees into their labs, uh, because trainees, as we both know, are coming into grad school and into postdocs with a, a more clear idea of what they want to do afterward. And if they know that they're if they know that a certain PI is supportive of a wide variety of different career options and can even help them in those uh, career areas then they're much more likely to, to choose that lab over another one where, where the reputation of the PI is that they're only interested in training academic researchers. So why do you think
0: programs like this are important?
2: Yeah, I think that um, part of the reason that NIH is funding so many these 17 different programs and has given us not a whole lot of information about how they want these programs to look, they are looking to us to try a bunch of different things and see how see what works. So um, we really are approaching this as a scientific question or a hypothesis-driven question. Some of the things that we are hypothesizing are that trainees that do an internship will come back to the lab more productive because they will have a clearer idea of what they want to do with their career. Um, They'll have a a clear incentive to to finish quickly uh, and get out into the workforce. Um, Another one of the hypotheses that we have is that And then we're testing this with survey uh, data of both PIs and of the trainees over the long term. We are looking to see uh, job satisfaction for one thing. Um, Do trainees that do an internship, are they more satisfied uh, compared to trainees that don't do an internship? Another thing that we are hoping to see is that trainees that do an internship will have a shorter time overall in training meaning that they might have shorter time to degree or shorter time in postdoc um, And what we would really love to see is that grad senior grad students who do an internship may not have to do a postdoc and so we're looking closely at the num- at the percentage of of our trainees that go on to do postdocs and and we're hoping to see that some of those especially those that do internships will be able to get into uh, a real their first real job without having to do a postdoc. So I guess one one
0: last question
2: is you mentioned that
0: this best funding initiative through NIH funds 1718 programs including yours. Mm-hmm. I would gather the majority of our listeners though who are trainees are likely not at one of those institutions, but might be very interested in trying to gain certain experiences and certain career paths they might be interested in. That's something we talk about all the time on the show. So what advice would you have to a trainee who's listening that might be interested in exploring different careers, but doesn't have one of these formalized programs at their institution?
2: Yeah. Um, I guess the advice that I would give um, relates back to something we talked about earlier with the um, individual fellowship awardees being uh, able to stay on their fellowships while they are um, doing internships. So certainly if, there, if there's a listener who is on an F31 or an F32 or an American Heart Association fellowship or some other um, individual fellowship, talk with your program director Um, at the funding agency and see if they would support you doing an internship and then um, work your local network to see if you can find a supervisor who'd be willing to take you for, um, you know, a a 100 or 150 or or even maybe a little bit longer internship. That's probably uh, one pretty sure way that you could do an internship. There are some companies that have their own internship programs that you can apply to, and that funding would then come from the uh, internship provider. Uh, uh, Usually those end up being three- to six-month-long internships, but that's another way that you could get some uh, industry experience or um, internship experience as a trainee. Uh, There's always the possibility, too, that a trainee can set up something on their own and take a leave of absence uh, from their... um, from their graduate studies and be able to do an internship as well
0: Mm -hmm. well this sounds fascinating so i guess last last thing when you're not directing the impact program uh what do you do for fun
2: well so i'm uh when i whenever i talk with students uh especially when they're really stressed out because of grad school or postdoc stresses i always encourage them to follow whatever passion they have make sure that they've got a hobby that they enjoy doing and uh so i guess i do have a couple of strange hobbies one of them is um that i'm a technical tree climber and so i i climb i mean
0: you're technically a tree climber (laughs) but in reality
2: (laughs) no it means that that it means that i climb trees technically meaning with ropes and harnesses and things like that as opposed to just climbing them like i used to when i was a kid
0: scurrying up a tree yeah
2: yeah so I, I've, I've used those uh, skills to in, in a couple of interesting ways. Uh, I've rescued more than 100 cats that have been stuck in trees uh, around uh, North Carolina. So that's something I enjoy doing on the side. One time I um, got a call from somebody who, needed, who had a cat stuck in a tree. And I recognized the last name, but I couldn't quite place it. And then when I got to the house, it ended up being a professor at UNC. His cat was stuck up in a tree.
0: (laughs) Really, if you want me to get your cat, you have to agree to let your trainees do internships. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, no, because you've told me you also rescued drones from a tree.
2: Yep, yeah, I do that fairly frequently. Usually right uh, a couple of days after Christmas when everybody gets a new drone and doesn't know how to fly it, that's when (laughs) the uh, drone rescue calls start flowing in.
0: That is funny. Well, Patrick, thank you for taking some time to talk to us about this really cool opportunity that you're providing to science trainees.
2: You're very welcome. Thank you, Josh.
0: All right, Dan, that was my interview with
1: Dr. Patrick Brandt. I cried a little bit because... Where was this program when you were in grad school? That's That's what I'm thinking. I, you know, I've told you before, Josh, that I went to a career fair and uh, I was really interested in... in, um, Manufacturing and biomanufacturing. And I asked the woman, I was like, I'd like to you know intern or apply for a job, and she said, We don't hire people like you, and she we don't hire PhDs. Um I wish so much that I had the chance to go try it. Like how how would my life and my career be different if I had been able to go try out a biomanufacturing job? Or um, a job in quality, or a job in—I don't know—any any random part of of the industry. I may have hated it, but at least I would know.
0: Yeah, and I should say, so Patrick is a, a colleague of mine. We work in the same office, so I've had a chance to see this program implemented over the last couple years. And you know, it really is amazing to see how how quickly the culture can change when I don't know when students actually are out there getting these experiences and. You know, I think faculty are starting to see, hey, this isn't really just completely tanking the training experience of my student, um, but actually is a is a positive in the training experience of of the students and postdocs in their lab. And it's just amazing. I got a chance just last month to go out and see all of the impact awardees from last year talk about all their internships, and it was amazing all the different things they were able to do. Go teach at a university, go work at a company, go work at a museum, all all during their graduate school training. And I just thought that was so amazing. And I hope, I really hope that this is something that catches on. I know all of these sites are actually involved. As Patrick said, this is a research experiment. So they're involved in a lot of evaluation, a lot of research to see what are the outcomes, what are the impacts on the training and development of these fellows. And wouldn't it be great if, if five, 10 years from now, this is a more standard thing that we see in PhD training and postdoc training across the country.
1: Yeah. And, and we promised sort of, a, we teased at the top of the show that this is a way to get a job before you finish your training. I think we've got to emphasize it again. When you go and do one of these internships, when you go and work with people for even a month, uh, you're having lunch with them. You are finding out about their kids and who's in what school and what hobbies they do. People hire people they like and people they know. You're You're not a... A piece of paper to them anymore, where they're not really sure what they're going to get. So I think that's really important. But what Patrick said kind of floored me that even if you don't go and work at the company where you interned, you now have the confidence, and you have the language to talk about this industry. So, you know, if I were to go and I wanted to, you know, I will work in business and I went to the uh, hiring manager and said, well, I, I kind of want to do something like kind of businessy. And, you know, I worked at the bench, but I've got like, I can write and I can do some businessy things. You know, is there any position for me? They're going to totally ignore me. But if I go and I say, I want to do technical sales in the Asia Pacific region for medical devices, what do you have? And and I'm, you know, I can say something confident about my work that I did as an intern. That, that's going to floor them. They've never seen that before. No, that's totally true. And
0: and I'm, I'm so glad we're talking about this, Dan, because I know it was true for us. And I know it's true for a lot of my friends and colleagues when I graduated, but I see it even now. There's this almost epidemic of low confidence upon graduation. And so here we have all of these really smart and talented people who have completed a PhD in whatever field, but yet their confidence in themselves and what they bring to the table is at an all-time low. And that's really, really unfortunate. It's weird, yeah. And I think anything we can do, any opportunities we can provide during training that really propel students out of their training and into the workforce versus like just limping
1: them. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You push them out of the nest and they hit the ground versus uh, take wing. Yeah. Don't you think that's unfortunate? It's it's weird. It's weird, but because it's such an insular community, because you're working on such a tiny aspect of of the whole world of science. And I think as a scientist, you see that. You see what a small piece, what a, a, a little impact you're making on a very uh, measured subset of the world. that You say, well, this is all I know. I only know about this protein's 52nd amino acid, which is what I worked on. But um, I think if you spend a little bit of time, if you if you work in business or if you work in outreach or if you work... Um, in one of these internship programs, you will see that you really do have a a pretty unique skill set. And the way that you think, the way that you approach problems is not the same as everybody else. And I think you can really leverage that. Yeah, that's true. It probably is a
0: firsthand experience where you get to see the skills you do have and how those skills can actually be utilized in a totally different context than the one you've been used to in the lab. And
1: that's probably very insightful. And how good is it to figure that out before you enter the job search yeah so if you are listening and you have done one of these internships or you think that uh one of them is available near you please write to us let us know how it went uh we'd love to hear some stories from people who went out there kind of put their their uh money where their mouth was tried it out and maybe had some success at it yeah
0: and if you're in the process of looking for a grad school or you're finishing up grad school and thinking about postdocs you know, maybe go to this NIH Best website and look at the
1: sites and maybe think a little bit about institutions where some of these opportunities are available. Cool. All right. Well, we'll put the resources up on the website in the show notes so you can go check it out. All right, Dan, etymology puzzle. Is that something we're still doing in 2017? Back at it. Yeah. Last week we shared a kind of etymology story. So there was no new clue, but the clue is back. So I'll read it for you beware of people infected with this virus they may fly into a furious rage at the sight of water read it one more time beware of people infected with this virus they may fly into a furious rage at the sight of water josh you will remember that i'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue and once you get it you'll find the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself if you think you know the answer Email it to puzzle at hellophd.com and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. I will send it via moth propelled car. (laughs) It'll take a very long time to get there. Depending on where you live.
2: That's right.
0: If you live in Durham,
1: North Carolina, it
0: may take less time. Select cities only. (laughs) I've got my bread. I've got my milk you got your uh, white IPA? Yeah, and speaking of robots, Dan, one of my favorite Christmas gifts ended up being one of these Amazon Echo Dots, these Alexa devices. Have you seen these? I have heard it listening to the conversation. Yeah, it's really weird. Our listeners should know that uh, I was talking to Dan about this Alexa, and every time I say her name in the other room, she starts talking back to us. So, <laughs> like there she goes now. again, yep. <laughs> Uh, but that does remind me, uh, if you are doing any shopping on Amazon, visit our page first, HelloPhD.com, and you can click on the Amazon banner on the side of the page, and you can do your Amazon shopping. You'll pay the same price you normally do, but we will get a little kickback that helps us with the cost of the show, and we really do appreciate those of you who have been doing that over the holiday season. It really helps. If you have something you'd like to talk about on the show or have comments on a past show, we would love to hear them. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com, or you can tweet at us at hellophd. We always love to hear from you. Dan, we will see you in a couple weeks. All right, we'll see you then. So I had a chance this week, Dan, to sit down with Dr. Patrick Brandt, who is the director of the Impact Program at UNC Chapel Hill, And UNC stands for... (laughs) University of North Carolina. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Alexa, set phasers to kill.
1: That's a feature for a later version.